0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod of the Gaps, the podcast which seeks to plug the gaps between the church and the culture. I am Aaron Edwards and I'm joined as always by the great Andy Bannister, or Andy Bannister the Great as he likes to call himself. I don't know what you would like no, to no, call that's
1: him. No, no, this, this is a misprint, Aaron. I'm Andy Bannister the Great. An audible, an audio, an audio misprint, a, a verbal I'm not misprint. I'm Andy Bannister the Great, I'm Andy Bannister the Greater. I've just had lunch and I had some grated cheese. For my lunch okay um, not greater because you've got a, you're
0: heavier now after lunch well actually that was quite a nice piece mass. of
1: snowdonia cheddar and i ate rather too much so in the lunch my okay. my wife and my kids were like daddy where did it go like, oh, i thought, <laughs> thought it was all mine <laughs> never mind it all disappeared i
0: don't know if there's is there any sort of is there, i don't know if there's podcasting advice should you do podcasts straight after eating cheese it's a bit like having nightmares when you go to bed have you eaten cheese? There's yeah, says, like that. well, there's
1: terrible puns, aren't there? You know, there's, t-
0: there's all sorts of puns that could come out. Well, your puns are terrible anyway. So to these, these cheese, are cheesy puns, and obviously, you know, <laughs> as a Christian, exactly. I believe in cheeses. So uh, you know, that's right. So nightmarish puns abound in this episode. Whereas atheists really don't believe in Gouda. Oh well, look at this. See, you look know, we've started. It's all it has begun. Yes. It has begun the cheese-infused nightmares of, the cheese infused nightmares. And uh, not I mean, I mean, let's not talk people. about Stinking Bishop because
1: that might sound like we're criticizing the Church that, of
0: England. That is true, which we would never want to do, of course. But we it's a great want. cheese
1: and it turns up in the Wallace yeah. and Gromit um second movie, so there you go.
0: Speaking okay. of the uh well, speaking of kid related movies, we with our children the other day we watched uh Beat remember the Mr Bean movie, the first one where he goes to Hollywood. No, Hollywood, he goes to LA. Do you remember, have you seen that one? Um, the, the I don't scene? think
1: I've seen that. You know, I, I was a big fan of the Mr. Bean series. Did you know that, by the way? That is one of Britain's biggest TV yeah, exports. exports. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. I was in, on, in the Middle East some years ago. It was on the plane. Uh, you play on the plane. I talked to a friend afterwards who, who, who was, you know, from from the Middle East, and he said, "Oh, it's everywhere." And yeah. uh, and I said, "Why is that?" He went, "Because it's because it's physical comedy. It doesn't require yeah, yeah. language, so it yeah. translates."
0: And then he added, it's also he said, what all the rest of the world think that English people are like. So um... (laughs) the eccentric kind of idiot that we are. Well, given the the state of the UK economy, you know, maybe Mr. Bean is our only hope to kind of increase the the, uh, GDP. Yes, that's true. As we
1: record record this, we are on our third prime minister in as many months. So who knows by the time (laughs) this goes out, we may be on we may be on more. And that's right. be not so much part of the gaps as PM of the gaps, but uh, you know that's right,
0: exactly, yeah. There we are. So uh, yeah, interesting. But no, it was it was. I would, oh, I, would well, I would recommend being in the movie. It was, a, it was a good a good showing. I thought. Yeah, and it's nice to good for US UK relations. I think there's some good caricatures and stereotypes that were absolutely. You mean the fact that Joe, Bar- Joe Biden exactly has did.
1: modelled his prime his, his presidential sort of career on Mr. Theme? <laughs> is that what you're? <laughs> that's right. Thinking, and I can, yeah. I, can um, I can see the letters coming in now. There's a there's a letter from an H Clinton of you know wherever. <laughs>
0: <Just, laughs> that's right. Yeah. Right so um, just saying, British people are not allowed to say anything to any other nation really right about now Americans. about politics. Yeah, yeah. But um,
1: talking to watching movies with your. With your with your kids, of course. I, I I lose track. Aaron, how many how
0: many kids have you actually got now? Remind listeners. How many kids? Five five and counting. Counting. Because I guess you. Does that, I say and counting because you always have to count them. Because be you have careful five. about
1: that because that sounded was prophetic. That there is a there is a sixth Ledwards <laughs> on the on the way.
0: Well, we we wouldn't be averse to a 6th We'd need to find somewhere to fit them in. So drawer you know, covered until we can. I actually do know families who used to whose children used to sleep. Yeah, used to sleep their children in large drawers. That weren't like closed. Obviously, they were have kind of out the drawers oh, out the like bed. they could pull out. You still do that. Yeah.
1: Oh, you do. Just, oh, there
0: you like, go. The, you know, it's got these, yeah. these little
1: lock things on the end. And it's you've got, got cool. child sleeping behind
0: you, haven't you? Right now, is child that right? I can see. Him. No, yes, uh,
1: <laughs> not not quite. But um. That's a good link, though, isn't it? Because we thought that the topic we we're going to talk about today. I thought we 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 we've been mas- mastering about this for a while, haven't we? And never got around to it about Mister Bean. That's Mr. the whole Bean, episode, yeah, whole episode of Mr. on Mister Bean, on Mr. That's Bean exactly which Mister Bean never do. speaks is going to be <laughs> amazing. And we did, of course, Lord of the Rings in the last episode. So sticking with high culture would go Mister Bean. Exactly. That's right. No, but if I, we weren't
0: to do Mister Bean, yes. Well, we could tease we listeners. Could we could ask him,
1: we could l- ask listeners to guess what the topic is if I give a clue and say that uh, that uh, you know you that uh, you have lots of these and Mister <laughs> Bean has none of these. But I've kinda of given it away uh, just asking you about your your children. Right. We we thought it was long time, didn't we, that long long time owing that
0: we do an episode on on, on children. That's right, absolutely. And of course, the clue might have been given away from the title of the episode, but you know, there's all sorts of ways we could uh, keep the mystery I like going. to be myself, but people
1: never read that. People simply go, wow, <laughs> there's a new episode of Puddle Gaps out, and it's got, you know, got air. It just goes straight to my ears. They plugs. My, I'm not going to bother. They, they could talk, <laughs> right. talk about anything. When I look, exactly. Shortly after moving to Canada in 2010, I had an old lady come up to me after a service I'd been preaching at, and she, she said to me, "Ah, oh, I love... I love your accent. I love the British accent, Andy says you could talk total rubbish on that accent and it would it would be it would be it would be great. I, I just anything is fine. And I'm thinking, Oh that's actually not a compliment, is it? <laughs> that's actually no, like that's right. My sermon right. was, you know, Largely meaningless, but it sounded good because it had a British.
0: We we do talk yeah. a lot of rubbish in this country, so I guess yeah, maybe maybe saying. our accents get get away get get, uh, get yeah, we get yes. away with a lot. So, so you know right. So so children, 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 children. Um, is it children? Let us calm ourselves down. So I think we I yeah we've been people. talking a while about this. We've been thinking right. This is clearly an issue. It's an issue perfect for our remit as part of the gaps. Because we're thinking about an issue that relates both to the church and the culture in quite a significant way. We just have a problem, don't we, at the moment? We have a problem as a as Western nations, in particular, um, with children. Infertility uh, rates are high, not just you know chosen infertility, as as it were. Infertility is a problem anyway. We also have people who are choosing to be child free. That there's a a significant um, hashtag trending uh, has been trending for the last year or two. um, Hashtag child free, where people will will just kind of post some photograph of them on some all-inclusive holiday you know a a young couple maybe of childbearing age um who would you know gleefully sort of revel in the fact that they don't have children tying them down there's kind of a problem in the culture isn't there where children are seen as a burden and not as a blessing um and, and in the kind of biblical um mandate for children the biblical sort of um exhortations for why children are a pretty good idea and why god sort of thinks so, that that we should be uh, thinking about children, and 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 we can get into some of those things in terms of biblical aspects and how they apply. But would you say, Andy, just to kick us off, yeah. what, how do you yeah. see this problem in terms of the Western culture, in particular, as not just infertility but this choice yeah. to stop having children?
1: Well, it's interesting. I mean, first of all, sort of full disclosure. I mean, we've kind of lived that that journey because when. When Astrid and I started kind of dating in 1997, we're very early on, we had the children conversation. And one of the things we both liked about each other was neither of us at that point wanted children. And the reason for that wasn't we wanted to jet set around the world and, you know, take Instagram photos of ourselves on beaches and stuff because Instagram had not yet been invented. It was we had these kind of rosy colored views of, you know, wouldn't it be great to be doing mission and Lord's work and we could be free to go mm, wherever we called of to go without being held down by children. It hadn't occurred to us that people were on mission for years with children not being a problem. But anyway, that was where we were. And so, yeah, we got married. And then for the first about first nine or ten years of our married life, we kind of sailed along, doing all kinds of things for God and no pitcher-patter of tiny feet. And then what was funny was both of us changed our view on kids. Both Mm. of us came around to thinking, no, actually, we really wanted children. Um, But but neither one Mm. of us realized the other one had changed their view and it would take about a year later to finally <laughs> one evening after a late night conversation it, it came out that oh you've changed your mind and then um and then we really? started trying for a for family and you know kids by the time kids came along it was 14 years after we were married but looking back wow. i would definitely say i think when we were first married we had bought into a couple of things we probably had bought into mm. the slightly individualistic kids are an option I think we've probably been sold the lie by the culture that kids are this terribly, terrible financial burden. You know, I know I've come across young couples like this who sort of say, well, we'd love to have kids. We can't afford it um, or it's not the right time. And I think now having been on that journey, I would look back at people and say, there's no right time to have kids. (laughs) Actually there's no perfect time. Whenever they come, they're going to disrupt all your order and all everything. Um, Mm. And then I think the other thing is I don't think we had been, we had ever heard in, in my all my life in church actually a really positive christian case for having children now i don't think it was mm. because the churches we attended were individualistic but i do think there's this thing that goes on in church sometimes where we don't offend anybody so that's we we, we mm. can't possibly preach on the on the blessings of kids because you know we might offend people who've chosen not to have them we might affect we might upset those who are infertile and would love to have kids but but can't and so the church never talks about it so it was i think later in life that i actually got the chance to you know talk to others read a bit and think this through and go oh gosh i do actually think i do actually think i'll put my colors on the mask now i don't think you can get around the fact that having kids is one of god's reasons for not the only one but one of the reasons for marriage it's a mandate that god has given to us part of the creation mandate care for the earth and steward it but also you know go forth and and multiply the famous words and um and I also think the other thing as well. I think you can you miss out a lot as a Christian mm. if you don't have children. Because I think I probably mm. learned far more about God through having kids and discovering what it means to be a dad and what fatherhood mm. means. I think I got a far greater appreciation of God's love for me through loving my kids than mm. just talk about in the abstract. Yeah. Because it's very there's yeah. very few other relationships that are like that. Every other relationship we have in life is largely. Is largely choice to an extent. I suppose parents, but that's Mm. slightly different. But you know, you choose Mm. your friends, you choose your spouse, you stuff. But Mm. kids are like this, you know, when they're born, this little sort of bundle of weeing, pooing, screaming (laughs) mess, yet you have this visceral love for it, which I Mm. think is what a beautiful Mm. image of the gospel that we are in God's Mm. eyes, visceral, screaming, mucky messes, Romans 5, verse 8. Mm. But that Mm. God loves us with his father's heart.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful, um, and uh, so it's, it's it's great. is also to hear you even reflect like that. I, I was going to ask you actually. I was going to. I thought I'd have to extract that kind of confession, confession out of you, um, but actually, I think it's um, it's good that you're able to reflect on that. To go, actually, I think you well, well whether you'd use the language regret, you certainly would say you bought into something mm. and it influenced your choices in ways you think. Actually, should we have should that have been the pattern for marriage? And I think the way you connect it there to um yeah, the, the procreative purpose of marriage, which is really significant. And it's it's been significant theologically for generations. So many theologians historically have, have highlighted um that that being a significant or perhaps even the significant um um sort of purpose for marriage, um even if people have maybe gone too far in the past, or most of them sort of say, well, there's no other purpose for marriage, it's literally just for procreation, um, as might have been the case in previous generations. We've certainly gone the other extreme. And in a kind of individualistic sense, just seen marriage as a sort of self fulfillment. <clears throat> so um, it's it's advantageous for various uh, reasons in our society. It can be, um, at least it is right now. Um, and you have that kind of stability, you're loved by someone, and the rest of it. But you don't actually necessarily need to sort of bless that union with. Um, the fruit of children. That's almost a, as you know, an option, and, and there's all the financial issues, the burden that comes in, as you described. Um, and we've lost something of what marriage is even for. So it's interesting, you may, you also mentioned that mission, of course, you did have missionary families um, who would you know pay the cost. Their families often paid the cost for their mission. And sometimes I even think that what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, of course, when he sort of says, you know, when we have that moment in the New Testament, which gives that sort of caveat for singleness is actually that you're going to when you get married you're going to have all of these other cares which are going to probably um, make it difficult for you to kind of embark on mission just speaking into what you said earlier about we had all these idealistic views of what we could do for mission for God without children which is sort of true but if even more true that would be for you not to get married at all and that's kind of what Paul's saying if some of you a very a very small percentage of you Um, are able to do this you are you are completely able to give yourself over to God and that's what monastic movements did that's why nuns were unmarried that's why monks were unmarried because they said I can give myself wholly to God in a way that I'm not um, weighed down by these other concerns but the Bible says that at exactly the same time as glorifying marriage and children saying how wonderful it is Mm -hmm. and even saying that you to be an elder of a church one of the qualifications is, is that you know how to manage your own children which would be indicative that this is the norm rather than what we have today. So a lot, lot of churches today, ev- lots of evangelical churches even, are so worried about being um, lumped in with sort of family idolatry, especially in the US, you get that because there's been a kind of a big movement of making the family central in everything and almost taking the, the place of God, um, that there's this fear. So it we'll go the other way. So it's like, right, we need to really up singleness. So singleness is great. It's a wonderful gift. Now, of course, it is a wonderful gift, but increasingly people are starting to realise Uh, You could be being sold a lie. If you tell all these people that singleness is so amazing, don't even think about marriage, well, are you sure these people are called called to singleness in this very unique way? And are they going to use their time effectively or are they just going to be using it for themselves? Are they inevitably just going to delay marriage and therefore delay children? And by that point, are they going to regret those decisions?
1: Gosh, there's lots in there. I mean, the the regret is an interesting place to start. I'll be very careful how I frame this so I don't out the person concerned, but we have a relative um who is in their, you know, now in their fifties, who, you know, I think I would say I think I would say they regret not Mm. being not being married because when they were younger, you know, they did a lot of the mission sort of stuff. They did all kinds of, Mm. you know, stuff stuff for the Lord, you know, thinking, well this is fine, the single life is okay. And then suddenly actually turned out later in life that wasn't what they wanted. But at that point, you know, the sort of marriage ship as it were had sailed. And uh, this person mm. saying to me, "One well, of the trouble now," they said, is anyone who's around the marriageable. Usually, there's baggage. They're either not married for a reason, or there's something else mm. has, has happened." Mm. And but at the time, mm. when you're in your twenties, with that idealistic vision of, "Yeah, okay, mm. I'm not going to get married. I'm going to pursue, you know, stuff for the Lord," I mm. wasn't very careful because, because, because you say singleness is a gift, and there are people to, who are called to that. Uh, there are also people I know who are called to that, but still struggle with it. And I think that's the other thing in the yeah. church we need to be careful about just because someone is called to singleness. Doesn't mean they're always going to find it find it easy in the same sense as that all of us are called uh, to chastity, whether we're married or not yeah. married. Doesn't always yeah. mean it's easy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's that there's that piece to it. The mm. other thing, by the way, on missionaries and I, I'd be interested to get your take on this actually because I know mm. I know with your, with the extensive Edwards clan, I know you know you like <laughs> the great story missionary heroes of the past as we do with with yeah. our kids. And one thing mm-hmm. I found myself thinking about on this, I, I love reading our kids' stories of missionaries in the past. And there's just so many great stories. There are men and women who serve the Lord in amazing ways. But I do get slightly nervous or oh, nervous is the wrong word. I get slightly concerned when I come across those missionaries in the past who, who in order to go and do that missionary activity, you know, dumps their kids into missionary schools mm-hmm. and I never saw them for most mm-hmm. of most yeah. the year. I, I mm. hadn't. I was only recently I read the full Eric Little story, and we all know, you mm. know, you know mm. chariots of fire, the heroic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because he dies uh, mm. out on the mission field, and the reason he died is he sent his family packing. Um, yeah. He sent them to safety, and then stayed behind. But the result of that decision mm. was that his kids grew up without a father. And I yeah. you know, I read that yeah. now, and I and I do find myself partly going, "Okay, there's lots one can learn from here." But I do think mm. if you are a Christian parent. You know, your calling is—you're called to serve the Lord. You're called to serve your 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 spouse and your children, and then you're called to do those other ac- activities. Mm. And I've, mm. I've seen, you know, I have seen—you know—I I have seen harm done. I think when mm. somebody sacrifices their family on the altar of ministry because it's easy to do. Mm. But I've got, mm. you know—we had dear friends of ours in mm. Canada whose marriage broke up because the husband had done just that. Spent all of his time yeah. doing the ministry, yeah. and the wife yeah. and kids—you know understandably got a bit perturbed Mm -hmm. and they were constantly second fiddle so i think i think one thing straight away that it's worth flagging up whether one is called singleness or called to family thinking through one's priorities and not getting into this individualist individualistic culture that says hey i love the idea of kids so i'll have kids they're like a fashion accessory or i i want my freedom i want to be able to watch my tv shows and hang out with my friends so i'm not going to have kids i think both of those are actually equally idolatrous actually yeah. you can you can you can idolize the family and you can idolize singleness or double income no kidness um mm. you know
0: yeah and okay that's that's interesting let me because there's a couple of things i want to go back to you just said but that last thing you just said is interesting so yes they're both idolatrous but the netflix one is worse isn't it like it has worse effects
1: i think yeah do you know? I, this is interesting. We don't often disagree, do we? On politics, we're often so amenable. So, oh, I don't know.
0: This is almost like a the possibility of disagreement. I'm just, I'm just disagreement. thinking exactly.
1: aloud. Run away, Will Robinson. Um, <laughs> I don't. I actually going to be. I'm going to be honest. And go, I don't know because I put it this way. Certainly, the problem I think with the singleness route is you are definitely you're making it all about me. On that, mm. not not on the kind of being single because it's a cool thing. If it's because I don't want the hassle of kids, I think mm. that's wrong on so many levels. I suppose the other, or, or the married couple who doesn't have children because yeah. they want to have. Again, yeah, it can be it can be remarkably one. selfish, um, mm. and that's another thing. By the way, one of my um, one of my favorite medieval Christian writers is a guy called Richard Richard of St Victor. He wrote a lovely little book on the Trinity, and he has this lovely little um, illustration from family where he talks about you know the, the perfect form of love requires three. You know, one is, is is isolated and can't love. Two, when they're loving, that love turns inward, and they spend so mm. much time loving one another. That no one else gets a look in, but when mm-hmm. the when the when the love of the two is united in a shared love for a mm. third, i.e., parents and a child, mm. that's that's the highest form of love. And of course, he applies that to, yeah. the, tr- to the to the to the Trinity. But what I would mm. say is, I suppose I'm only careful because I have seen, not just heard about, I have seen what damage can be wrought, bad damage wrought in families when someone does mm. that sacrifice their family in the altar of ministry thing because it's mm. because it almost brings a spiritual abuse part in you know the, an example i'm thinking sure. of it did it was the kind of well how can you tell mm. me i shouldn't be doing mm. this you know this is what the has called me to so as well as neglect you had spiritual abuse on top of mm.
0: sure. uh, and it was pretty, oh,
1: the, I, pretty horrible.
0: I don't know if i misheard you then because i thought you were saying fa- i thought you were talking about family idolatry like making. oh no no i was talking to- more about the when
1: you the example i was giving was from the missionary example of when you okay when you sacrifice yeah, yeah, I your I, family okay. Okay. To sure. the to the I,
0: greater I, cause, yeah. No, no, I still think that's better than the other one. Sorry, I do think that. Obviously, I don't think sacrificing families is good. You could quote Edward says. I was going to say <laughs> sacrificing families. podcast out, <laughs> mate,
1: and go. Edward says,
0: "Yeah, my my <laughs> children listening to this in twenty years' time. Ah, look, look what this is. Why we ended up hating you? Uh, hopefully, not. That's why they've ended um, up
1: Baptist, not Baptist. Yeah. yeah,
0: but I, but I think it does. So, of course, what we our standards of. Uh, neglect or abuse will be very different or our, our frame of reference our filter for that will be very different to um, 150 years ago for various reasons um, and I do think the children yes they may not have spent as much time with their, with their missionary or ministerial parents but there may be some element in which they, they will have been clearly family worship would have been a bigger thing go and listen to our family worship episode for that so, there would have been still been a kind of headship exercise in those families where they're brought up in the fear and instruction, and admonition of the Lord, uh, in such a way that they would hopefully see, e- even with less time spent, would see the kind of great cause for which their parents or maybe just their father is, um, yeah, is, is immersed in. So, I know that can be challenging. And of course, in a, in a modern age, preach, you know, PKs, as they call them, pastors' kids or preachers' kids. Uh, often turn out badly, especially the eldest. Um, and partly that's because they, they yeah, they, they resent the fact that their um, their usually father has been neglectful of them for ministry. Now, sometimes their their reflections are just unfair on on the parents or on the father. It's not always a fair uh, representation. And I'm sure there's two sides to those stories. But clearly, there's there's many who would who would uh, pastors who would also express and our missionaries regret over how little they. Uh, thought of the emotional effect on their children. So there are ways of doing both. But you, when you, if you get married and have, therefore likely have children unless you're not able to, um, you, that's the choice you've made, to have those concerns that Paul says you will have if you get married. So if you want to go full-on missionary, full-on pastor, just give myself 100% like John Stott did in that way, that's great. Go and do that. But if you've chosen to get married with children, you have a different responsibility. And then all the responsibilities of parenting – um, and being a husband if you're if you're or wife then then hmm. yeah you, you have to accept those and actually rejoice in glory and glory in glory in those because they're wonderful things sanctifying things and they're also necessary for civilization lest we uh, forget but, but very briefly on the other thing you know on the sense of these of these missionaries going out i do think there was a problem historically at a certain certainly in the beginning of evangelical history in the modern era uh of, you know, beginning with things like methodism where uh, missionaries were almost um sort of encouraged to just take a wife pragmatically. So that's where I what I say earlier when I said, you know, that it can just be oh, it's be good for you to have some children, or it'll be good for you to have a wife for these pragmatic reasons. And often it's not particularly romantic. Of course they would abide by scriptural um sort of guardrails for those things, but at the same time it's not, you know, the kind of ideal of marriage in its full sense that the Bible actually um gives us or conveys so um wesley for example was um i think he was just persuaded to get married by some advisors and his marriage is kind of way well known as being pretty terrible marriage he didn't even find out that his wife had died till a couple of months after that's how often he was away from home of course it's at a time when we don't have instant communication but still um a couple of months not knowing that your wife had died um is pretty bad um, similar, many other missionaries, as examples of them. When I was in Nigeria, I can remember finding out about the first missionary to Nigeria um, came over, and I think the family all died—the wife and children all died on the journey over. So they just got a new wife, and you know, and and procreated again. And it sort of felt like sometimes the family was a little bit expendable. Um, for the mission they're going into very difficult situations and many of them catching diseases that kind of thing so there what there is a bit of a balance to be struck there i guess i was just sort of Mm. saying i I so loathe the individualism of our day Mm. that i feel like that's the bigger problem we have Well,
1: let's come back to that and talk about the Mm. the individualism piece for a bit because i think that is a Mm. that is a good place to talk around for a Mm. while i mean i think i think one of the things that struck me for a while it is. I think. I mean, obviously, we live in a very in a very individual individualistic age. I mean, that sort of goes without without saying, um, right? And I think it's interesting. I've just finished just literally last last night. I finished uh, reading Carl Truman's book, The um, Strange New World, uh, which is mm-hmm. the kind of shorter version of his big um, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And you know, Amen. his his analysis shorter of individualism versions. and what's gone on, I think, is 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 brilliant. Mm-hmm actually mm. and he only goes into so many features of it he doesn't talk about it in terms of family he does talk about it in, terms of, in terms of sexuality that we live in an age where everything is about the individual and the ultimate form of individualism yeah. is sexual expression but well, that's that is definitely adjacent to this issue because i think one of the things i think that's gone on in culture and i when i worry at times that it is infecting the church is the fact that children are, are the one pretty i say young children are the one non-negotiable commitment so right now every other commitment is negotiable if you leave your job and you you know you've worked there for 20 years and you literally just walk off the job never come back to do some new career you're celebrated well that's fantastic they found themselves um hmm. you know somebody walks out on a, on a on a marriage and and goes off uh you know we've talked before about philip Schofield, the british tv presenter who uh, two three years ago now before just before covid you know just comes out as gay and so abandons his family after you know 20 odd years of marriage hmm. Now his kids were grown up but you know he walks out his wife and of course the papers, the papers celebrate that oh it's fantastic he's come out he's found his true self and so on and so on. the one thing that I think is not negotiable is children so someone who did that to young kids if say Philip and he didn't do this I'm not, I'm not accusing him of this but just use him as a thought experiment if he'd had you know had young children he'd gone you know what but you know yeah. the kids are, are a problem to me so i just left them on the on the on the door of so the local hospital with a note saying please look after these toddlers and he'd gone off with his lover yeah. i don't think he would have been celebrated in quite the same way yeah. children are the one non-negoti- non negotiable you know commitment. and so therefore what i think more and more people are doing is just not having them in the first place people are saying you know yeah. well, i want my freedom that um there's been various newspaper articles we'll link to one in the in the show notes there's an article in the telegraph um the other day just one of many i'd uh, i'd read on this called child free by choice the birth rate crisis gripping the west and it starts mm-hmm. with the stories of, of people just boasting on celebrating on social media you know i can mm-hmm. sleep in i can spend my money the way i want the house is tidy i've got no commitments uh and as i say i think i think that's quite terrifying where that leads for a couple mm-hmm. of reasons i think one is of course what that does demographically but i think People, but if I if I met such a person in the pub, I think I would be tempted to just raise the question politely. Hey, that sounds lovely. Just out of interest, who is who are you planning on paying your pension? Because whether you have a, a government pension or a private pension, you know you are presumably expecting the next generation to, through their taxes or through working for those companies and generating profits, to pay for your retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you haven't sort of as it were paid in through through having children that raises some questions then of course mm. the question as you get older who's going to care for you traditionally it was yep. your children who did who did that we've now outsourced that increasing to the state with all kinds of problems but even then presumably you're expecting when you're lying in the care home aged 80 that someone is going to come wipe your bum and do your medication well that's going to be somebody's kid right mm. and then as i say when mm. this infects the church i think individualism is just absolutely toxic. When it enters the Christian faith, in mm. so many it goes wrong in so many mm. ways because it's obviously it's such the antithesis to the gospel because the, the heart of the gospel message is we are not little isolated units. Firstly, we are connected to, to, to God, who is our Creator and our Lord, and of course we're connected to each other, and that's reflected in those two commandments mm. that Jesus reduced the entire law to: love, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, and soul; love your neighbour as yourself. And that mm. individualism just basically cuts through both of those. Mm. Uh, even though we may not realize it at first, it's like this sort of acid. I think that eats away
0: like mm. Christianity. Yeah, faith. no, that's a really good point. And, and I mean, I think this—it's it, just—it is. We're we're a profoundly sick generation, um, in, and I, in in numerous ways, um, we, we have a kind of there's a spiritual sickness to the way that we've been brought up, or certainly younger generations especially. But we're all part of it, really, uh, just to be consumers and and just to, to be takers. In ways that I know that you know, sin has been prevalent in every generation in all sorts of profoundly uh, disturbing ways, but it does feel like one of the particular sicknesses of our age um, has been consumerism, and and this it's not just the case of going oh yeah, getting more stuff or uh, feeling the need to get more stuff or to, ha- to to consume more things is is just a bad thing because then you're going to be greedy. It just it has deeper. Um, effects that really go down to the roots of our whole civilization. If you if you breed a generation as consumers who, who want to take and don't want to give, and I think having children is prof- is a very profound way of giving to society, uh, giving because you have to pour so much into your children. You want to because you love them, um, but you're pouring out of yourself. You're, you're sort of emptying yourself of stuff that you've received from others or you've received from life, you've received from the wisdom, hopefully, of God's wisdom but others are around uh in god's world as well um and then you're hoping that they will actually go bless the world um from that place of blessing that they've received from you and then you receive blessing from them so there is a kind of wonderful give and take that isn't consumeristic um in having children you know that's the idea of um in, in, in the psalms of the um of the quiver full of arrows that are shot that you can shoot out. Blessed is the, is the man who fills his quiver with them because you shoot them out into the world and they make a profound uh, difference. You hope if you raise them well, if you raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I think this is one of the arguments against the whole, I guess it probably opens up a whole other can, um, <laughs> but, uh, but the whole climate change uh, nonsense that we hear. Don't have children because you're going to destroy the planet by perpetuating the human race. Like literally just, I mean, a, a, a profound idiocy, I think, in that. And I know that that's maybe a bit strong. No, it isn't too strong. Because I know, but I, I, I say it sounds strong because mo- a lot of people maybe who are quite sensible will believe that. And you might even believe that, Andy, I don't know. We'll see if we disagree. But the whole notion of, you know, the, I read an article last year, it was, in The Spectator. He did get to a kind, by the end, it got to a kind of, it, you know, a slight change of heart by the last, like, sentence. But it was called, Having a Child is the Grandest Act of Climate Destruction. Um, and we're just kind of going into the, the kind of narrative, the doom, um, prognosis that we have of the fact that I think it was about the amount of CO2, because it all the kind of COP26 stuff. And it was, um, what was the statistics? I forget where they were exactly, but it was something like you, if you have a car, um, or if you give up a car, you'll save 2.4 tons of CO2 per year. Yeah. So you'll help the planet by by saving 2.4 tonnes of CO2 being released per year. And um, then it gives all the other statistics, you know, air, if you, airplane use, whatever, or a good diet, you might save 0.8 tonnes of CO2. And then it gets to a child. If you have a single child per year, you're adding 59 tonnes of CO2 um, per year. So it, it creates this narrative for people, for a whole generation who are kind of obsessed with the climate crisis anyway, that, mm. right, okay, the, the worst thing I could possibly do is have children. Um, yes. And so... at a time, saying this, at a time when most Western countries are not able to actually um, sustain their population longer term and because we still have this idea that there's this kind of population bomb, that old book from the 1960s um, we still think that that's the biggest problem that we're going to run out of space on planet Earth and we're not going to be able to sort of cope with it and there will be a terrible famine, and we will kind of resort to eating each other or something well, this no exactly help and i read um, it's interesting i read an
1: article kind of recently and then heard i wish i could remember which podcast i i heard this this on where they were interviewing a demographic expert talk about the fact that we've all been a bit blindsided but we've looked at the you know you always look at the generation that you're part of and there has been a baby a baby boom in the 60s mm. and things that a lot of us are kind of part of but then if you look behind that so the, the wave coming through that's where you see things going off a cliff i mean china is startling mm. I mean, it was mm. not that long mm. ago, if you remember, of course, that you know, China had the one-child policy because they were worried yeah. about space. Now they are panicking because they've got yeah. this massive demographic crisis. Their population is going to fall off a cliff. And, of course, if you're listening, mm. uh, if you are someone who leans sort of greener, uh, you you know, I mean, I do. But but on this issue, you're sitting there thinking, oh, that's great. Well, actually, it's not. It's a total utter disaster because you're going to have a massive old age crisis. You're going to have a the, the economy is going to crash. China's economy is linked to lots of other global economies, so potentially the whole global economy is going to spectacularly blow up. And again, if you think yeah. so, oh, well, that's great, less consumerism. No, what will probably happen? That means you're going to see far more of things like you know, dirty fossil fuels, burning coal, yeah. and other kind of bits and pieces because that's easier than putting the effort into developing new technologies, which need people and brains and thinking. The other strange place the you get to with the climate change stuff and children. Uh, Aaron, that's occurred to me before. First, you've got this very strange doublespeak. On the one hand, Mm. the message that's often used by Extinction Rebellion and the the, the more extreme end of the climate change lobby is think of the children, think of the next generation. So in a sense, children are used as the as the kind of emotional, you know, we want a world for our children that's cleaner and better and greener and everything. Um, hmm. Which are actually, large parts that I agree with. I would, I would love a world that's that's, that's hmm. cleaner than this yeah. one for, for, for my kids. I, I get that. But on the other hand, it's like well, we shouldn't have kids because they they emit carbon and all this other stuff. Yeah. And what I find fascinating is whether you look at response to that either in a secular tone or a Christian tone, it's still totally it's nonsense on stilts because hmm. for that's a human. Good phrase. Secular, response to that would be to go well if human beings are just another animal then i'm sorry evolution is the only game in town we are here to survive and reproduce mm-hmm. you you can't you can't avoid that you can try and sort of play around with it but genetics is genetics mm-hmm. dna is dna you know as richard dawkins the famous oxford atheist put it we are nothing more than robotic you know dna survival machines uh mm-hmm. our genetics so on atheism that argument just cracks yeah. and burns. and then if, obviously as, as christians we have the whole scriptural mandate that actually part of what it means mm. to, to carry out God's mandate for creation is mm. we actually care for creation and we, re- we mm. survive and we reproduce and we have children and we bring them up in the fear and knowledge of the Lord and we, brought, we bring them up mm. and teach them to look after and steward and care for the planet. But sorry, I was a tangent. Mm. The other two things I want to say very quickly. Sure, and one of them will open up another can of worms. This is a can of worms,
0: everyone. <laughs> consumerism very quickly. I just... are, are they are they good for the climate? These worms. Maybe
1: they're carbon chewing nano worms or something. <laughs> carbon worms. Carbon We're worms. So worms. Carbon worms. Um, well, of course, cans of worms would have been made of aluminium, and the aluminium might be recycled. Yeah, that's um, it. Oh, there we just go. on consumerism, <laughs> and we need to do a show on consumerism. Yeah. I think there's a couple of sure. things about consumerism that are interesting. consumerism and of course kids fit badly together because consumerism is all about the immediate you know that's the way things yeah. are sold. you have this urge yeah. you need to go scratch it you know don't wait don't don't try and save money and buy your new mm. gadget in three years' time. get it now on the credit card, but of course, mm. raising kids is the total antithesis of that right you're pouring into them you're raising them, hoping that and praying that the work you're doing now is going to pay off when they become mm. good citizens, good adults in you know, 17, 18 years time, it's a long game. And so that's one reason yeah. those two things, I think, clash. And then, of course, the other thing with consumerism, related to that, consumerism is predicated on this eternal restlessness. Okay, you've bought the phone. Fantastic. Well done. And if, don't, worry, don't worry about the credit card bill. But then, of course, that <laughs> phone's not good enough, is it? You know, it's now, it's now a week old. It's now a month old. Oh, there's a new iPhone out. You know, now you're last year's thing. You need the next thing.
0: And consumers- you just need to get my. You just need to get my phone clearly that's you know this is clearly the way yeah, like you there. really are
1: doing you know, the whole slow
0: <laughs> anti-consumer well, so like what it. i can
1: see in glorious technicolor he's actually his is actually a wind-up phone it's got this great key in the back <laughs> uh, do you know
0: what we actually by the way you'll see, when you come to our house next you'll see it we have a phone that we found in a skip an old fashioned like phone from like the 1920s one of those ones that like anyway i'll show it to you. keep going sorry carry on I thought there was a
1: point to that rather than just you've gone dumpster diving for telephones. Um, But, yeah, the restlessness piece, I think, is interesting because, again, that doesn't sit well with parenting because, actually, trust me, if you parent your kids to always be wanting the next thing, you are in for a world of pain. Part of parenting Mm. and parenting well, Mm. I think, is how do you teach gratitude? We're always trying to work on that with our kids. Be grateful for the things that you have um hmm. and yeah you know it's great the birthdays and christmases and stuff but we don't need to be filling our life with plastic crap all the time um but here's the here's the here's the kind of worms i wanted to open because we're all right eight, seven minutes in and you know who knows how long we'll go for but we do need to talk about this can,
0: one. Can, okay no, can, I, can i le- can i suggest can i uh, just just to finish off the other can i'll close the other, close can, the other can and can. then you can open up your new can close that's the great. consumeristic and that, can and we will put them all in the recycling that's, your next uh, book title. that's
1: a great book title we're closing the closing the consumeristic can
0: oh i like that that's it the case for closing the case for closing the con-
1: yes the christian <laughs> right. case for closing the consumerist oh look plan. at this
0: it's keep we can keep on going listen send in some more c's more please c's. we need to get the, the conservative christian case anyway <laughs> but, but on the so, so on, on the on the green kids thing i think this is the whole point is that you know like i was saying earlier when you send your arrows into the world you don't think of them as just a burden to the planet think of them as a Doing good for the planet. If you raise children to be good for the planet, and you can be good for the planet without being, let's say, a political liberal, uh, which is almost a green agenda, seems to be co opted by that. You can be a conservative, you should be. If you're properly conservative, you care about God's um word primarily and the authority of his word and the authority of his law, the authority of his wisdom above um, changeable cultural concerns there are ways of you caring for the planet and caring for uh, green spaces there should be in that kind of Tolkienian vision even of the Shire that we discussed in uh, the last episode there's a sense of uh, caring for nature caring about the processes God has put in place rather than imposing industrialized processes technological processes on top um, foolishly uh, as much as we can also embrace technology as a a gift and a blessing as well in, in moderation so I think you, you you don't have to accept that ridiculous narrative that says having children per se is bad for the planet. It's, it's unbelievably stupid argument, um, and Christians should be um, immune to that. And to go, actually, no, I'm going to bring as many children as I can into the world who are going to be a blessing. Um, now, it doesn't mean as many children as possible for you to conceive, because there's also arguments. You know, there is the quiver full movement. Some of our US listeners will be familiar of, because we don't really have those epic families uh, over here. But there are plenty in the us aren't they? we're having kind of 20 plus children whatever i would say your Your
1: family may not be epic but it's definitely a box set
0: yeah that's true we are a box set we we are strange enough aren't we that we can walk on along the road you know regularly my wife goes to the gp and had even when she only had three young children with her before we had the other two um the gp would say do we need to have a conversation about contraception (laughs) really (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I was like, I can't but this is incredible. I was like, Wow, what a ridiculous thing. Like what a state of like society to get into with three children from someone who maybe doesn't look too too old. Um, so seems crazy. Your, your
1: your your wife is probably I mean I've you yeah, know met your your wife and she's very, very feisty, but not, not necessarily as flippant as as, as as some of us might be. I think it would be really funny if she looked at the GP and gone, Yeah, if you haven't worked out why you haven't had kids, I'm very happy to talk to you, exactly. <laughs> exactly. To go, but that you know, but right now I'm yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, why else would you bother wasting your life with all these children? She so she regularly gets that but she also gets interestingly at the school gate when our children were in mm. in a state in in school, um she would get sort of the kind of quiet envy of of mothers who'd waited till mm. their 40s to have one child sometimes by IVF because they waited too long um or, or they had issues when they finally wanted to have children. So many women get to that stage where they finally decide, "Oh yes, now I'm ready" because I've had x amount of years building up a career now i just need to take a slight career break and then there's all sorts of policies to kind of try to do both of those simultaneously we could talk about that probably in some other can opened episode but um they, they they'll tell her actually they wish they could have had more than <clears throat> one but now they now, yeah. now they're trying to appease that issue by all that regret by taking them on loads of holidays they've got a lot of money because they've got two incomes that are quite high and they've been able to work on that but it doesn't really fill the void and i I think sometimes women are sold a lie as well that you know this notion of being pro natal um this kind of instinct for motherhood is an option that you can pick up and put down the vast majority of women will have a maternal instinct Hmm. um, and that's just something that we try to suppress and our culture tries to make them feel like they can suppress that. And if they delay it, it's even worse. So there's so oh, many problems, yeah. let alone guys not wanting to actually have children because they're irresponsible. So we've got problems on both sides of the gender divide here. Yeah. Um, well that actually, yeah.
1: you, you are skirting around the edge. Can you skirt on the edge of a can? I'm not sure. I think you
0: can. I think you can I'm, can mixing, I'm
1: mixing metaphors. Yeah.
0: But you could get, your feet would get cut. They, they though, would. If they was would, was an wouldn't can, they?
1: Can, And, um, and stuff. And, um, the, the, the issue that you are skirting on the edge of was actually the, 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 the can of, I say can of pachyderms, where do elephants come from? The can of worms <laughs> that uh, I wanted to open up, which is, you mentioned the part about, about women. And that's been, that has been, that's been well written about actually not but by including many feminists actually, you know, sort of, I think sort of talk about, there is this issue here, um, that, you know, you can, you can, you can play the politics all you like, but the biological clock is the biological clock. Mm. Um, the issue I suppose for me is on the edge of this is the fact that we have as a society I think so downplayed the value of parenthood but especially motherhood it is parenthood in general um because I think you know for many guys I would say you know society doesn't encourage you when you know people ask what you do to sort of you know most people most guys would lead with their career and stuff they wouldn't lead their family in fact I noticed this the other day because I I listened to a podcast, an episode of Trigonometry, which is a podcast that we've mentioned before that we quite like. And on that, they had Sean Bailey, who was the Conservative candidate for Mayor of London. Uh, the last election he, he lost and, and uh, Sadiq Khan kind of won. But Sean is a Christian. And what was interesting at the beginning of the show, when they asked him like, you know, who are you and how have you got to where you are now? He led with, and it was so rare, it stuck out to me. He didn't talk about his politics and all the stuff he'd done. He said, well, first up, my name is Sean. I'm I'm married to, he gave his wife's name. I'm the father of three kids. He listed his children. It's was like, there is a guy who's led with the family. Then he went into, I've been a youth worker in, you know, South London for 20 years. I've done politics mm. But that is rare. So I think for guys, we don't feel that parenthood is, is the really valuable thing. It's got to be the career or the other stuff we do. And then for women, I think there's that sense of, well, if you choose to opt out of the career rat race and do mm-hmm. parenting, well, firstly, obviously, there is a financial hit. And one could just, that's a whole perhaps, other discussion about, you know, is society structured in a way that, that isn't fair? But it's still the fact that you're treated. Like a second-rate second rate citizen, the tax system is set up to incentivize you to get back to work. The government doesn't want you staying at home with your kids. It wants you mm-hmm. earning and consuming. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my wife, like your wife, is a full time, you know, homemaker and educator. And, you know, the whole, whole list of descriptions I could give to what Astrid mm-hmm. does. She's a business manager. Mm-hmm. She effectively runs a small mm-hmm. business. She runs the home. She, she teaches. She does all these other stuff. But mm-hmm. whenever she fills forms out, she has to tick homemaker um or she said she'll describe that being in groups of you know she's in a group of women where all the other women are working she feels slightly inadequate to say well i'm a full-time mum um uh, that's somehow the, yeah. the poor choice yeah. and so i think yeah. society has totally devalued parenting yeah. and by the way this is not a new thing i mean my mother telling me a story that when she was a uh, you know graduating from high school in what this has been mid-1960s something like this you know, she was in a girls' school in South London, and the careers, there was a careers lesson, and the teacher had gone around the room, you know, asking people what they wanted to be when they left school. And my mum, you know, said, well, I want to get married and have kids. That's what I want to do. And mm. she tells me that even then, the, the teacher looked and went, well, oh, come on, you can do better than that. And she mm. was told that in the 60s as a young woman. Thankfully, well, she, makes sense. she pursued yeah. that. She did two years, a couple of years mm. as a dental nurse, got married, mm. had me, and then my brother and sister, and did an amazing job kind of kind of kind of raising us and i'm hugely grateful actually you know i remember as a child being so grateful the difference it made having a parent who was a who was at home mm. now you know this is not the issue to talk about whether that needs to be the woman primarily though there are you know you know you know my wife is scandinavian and sort of places like sweden and norway are much I mean, in some ways much more family friendly you know sweden is much easier to take parental leave it's also it's, more atheist yeah well, yeah it's interesting ironic right <laughs> Um, So there are are other ways of structuring it, but particularly this society, the UK, and I think North America, uh, where a lot of our listeners are, I think are profoundly family unfriendly societies, in a sense, you are supposed to be Mm. out there earning, you are supposed to be out there earning so you can pay your taxes, so you can consume Mm. more. And, uh, you know, the state Mm. will ensure there's good childcare, ideally, and those kind of things, but come on, get into the workplace. Mm. And something has gone wrong. I think. And again, yeah, no, I don't, yeah, the, the, the church, I'm not. And to be fair, I don't think the church is necessarily entirely bought into that, but I think the church hasn't resisted the way that mm. it should. I think there needs to be more of a battle force uh, force and a banner way for no parenting is a great good. And if you choose that as the, as the thing you're going to do, phenomenal.
0: Hmm. Amen. Um, and, and, uh, well, I mean, the only thing I might, the only kind of quibble I might have is actually when we, when we flatten out to parenting, because even though I, I've even used the term parenting regularly, biblically, is the term parent even in the Bible? I don't think it is. Motherhood is in the Bible. Fatherhood is in the Bible. Those are distinct things. Both have to, to do with raising children in different, but in a very different way, um, and with different instincts and different responsibilities. And, and motherhood and fatherhood are both profound biblical values that have been lost and, re- and eroded to the extent that I wonder if because we're going so crazy with gender in our society the notion of fatherhood and motherhood will actually eventually be obsolete. The idea of that there being a thing where a male is a father and a, and a female is a mother. How how can those things even mean anything? So, so, so they'll erode the entire meaning. You just have parent A and parent B. When actually the Bible has so much to say on the specificity of fatherhood, God being father, of course, significantly. And of course the, the notion of Mary as mother of God, of course, taken in very different ways in different traditions um, of the church. But, Nonetheless, something profound about fatherhood and motherhood, which has stretched across Christian informed cultures uh, for generations, which um, is not surprising is being eroded in, in an increasingly secular culture. I, I wanted to um, read a quote from a, book, a really, really good uh, essay that came out recently by Kevin DeYoung, who's a kind of evangelical pastor in the States. Um, he wrote an, an essay for First Things, um, a journal called The Case for Kids, and um, now, now Kevin DeYoung has <laughs> has nine children. So you know what a crazy guy. Why would he even do that? You know, my my mere five, let alone the the uh, the Bannister clan. Um, after your your kind of fourteen year wait, but nine children he has, and quite kind of a busy life. I can imagine. Um, and it's it's really interesting. He says, you know, he makes various really good points in it um, about you know. And I think you know, I've, I've also heard him speak previously about the fact that your family just by having a load of children as a functional family going anywhere in public is a kind of witness. And we've even noticed that with five, or we noticed it even with three or four, that people kind of look at you in a kind of different way when you have a socially unacceptable amount of children, which sadly even five in this country is a socially unacceptable amount of children. Like it's a weird amount of children to have, whereas in a previous generation it just wasn't weird at all. Um, and he in this really, this article he, he refers to this, this kind of prophetic book really, by a guy called Carl C. Zimmerman. who wrote a book called Family and Civilization in 1947. Um, And here's uh, De Jong's summary of of Zimmerman's argument in it. Already in 1947, Zimmerman saw that the atomistic family, the family based on individualistic assumptions about happiness and the role of marriage, so that thing that came in in the 40s, 50s, 60s, um, would lead to rapid and groundless divorce that looser family structures would be, would be proffered as solutions to family problems, only to make those problems worse, that the stigmas inhibiting adultery would deteriorate, that fertility would decrease, and that sexual perversion would be normalised. He also predicted that the decline of fertility among intellectuals would embolden them to challenge the validity of marriage itself, that it would take two generations, slowed by immigration, for family of decay to become evident. And that the Christian church would be the only cultural institution capable of encouraging a view of family grounded in something more than personal fulfillment. I just thought it was a really, really profound thing to him. That's just a young summary of Zimmerman's argument. But amazing things to be noticing in 1947, when we might even think um, deludedly that, oh, the 1940s and 50s, isn't that the golden era of the kind of family values? And actually isn't um even before the revolutions of the 1960s you had erosions in how the family was seen um prior to that time so even that what your mum would have heard in the, in that classroom in the 1960s is, is it hasn't come from nowhere educators were already thinking um on revolutionary lines and there was a kind of this is you know a a direction of travel there but all of those things that, that he's predicting in the 1940s are really bearing fruit and, and a very bad kind of fruit in terms of all the other institutions um that are going to be eroded as a result and sexual perversion you know um normalized and adultery being uh, the inhibitions over adultery of being shackles thrown off and that kind of thing and that all comes from the the individualistic assumptions about happiness he says that that's the kind of problem if you make it about yourself i and the pursuit of happiness alone that's going to end up in these things because why would you carry on the covenant of marriage why wouldn't it go why wouldn't you just get divorced if you can um so yeah all those things are are, are kind of relevant to yes. precisely the seeds that have been sown and you could probably add uh, in the decline of of religious observance across the west as well um, which is mm. you know clearly a huge problem the, fa- the loss of the family and the loss of religious observance are clearly related
1: i think they are and i think the hap- i think the happiness thing is interesting because again i mentioned carl truman earlier in strange new worlds I and mean, he talks about you know obviously we've, we live in this world now this culture here in the west that is highly individualistic but is then positioned happiness as being the thing the main thing that you're supposed to be pursuing that is the name of the game and often mm-hmm. of, often in the west in our culture of course that's then happiness is then you know framed in terms of well that's you know that's sexual happiness you know sexuality mm-hmm. is the greatest pleasure you experience that's just straight out of freud And uh and and therefore, you know, anything that gets in the way of that should be should be removed. Everything's re-engineered around that. But I think the thing that's more interesting is the way that is, I don't think I think that's a pretty much that idea is a universal acid, actually. And I think it's gonna I think it's still gonna play out in in stranger directions. If you look to someone like Japan, for example, reading an article recently saying Japan has got not just an issue with childlessness, it's got an issue with relationships. Because a whole generation of particularly Chinese young men who are opting totally out of relationships. Their argument mm-hmm. is why do we need them? You know, we have computer mm-hmm. games to entertain us, we have pornography to satiate the the, the, the sexual urge. They get or, sex dolls as or well. Or in time, course, sex robotics, thing, yeah. which is which yeah. is which is a, which is a th- you know that one of the next ethical challenges the church is gonna mm-hmm. be ready to en- engage with. There's been lots of mm-hmm. risk on that that already. And so, you know, why bother with relationships? You look look here in the UK, statistics showing, you know, the uh, you know, sexual activity uh, among young people is getting the age at which people lo- lo- losing their virginity is getting older and older and older. Now as he's a Christian, it's easy as Christians, oh great, that's they're becoming conservative. No, they're not. People are opting out of relationships generally. And going, Why would I want to relate why would I want a relationship with a flesh and blood human being who's gonna be difficult and cause all kinds of problems when actually I can construct my world entirely around me, that digital world yeah. can give me all of the pleasures that I want. And it's all around me, 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 and so on. Mm. And I think the church mm-hmm. is going to have to firstly be aware that that, field, that, that idea doesn't infect us because we are more mm. affected by the culture than we like to think. And then I think, boy, have we got to think about how we engage it? Because, yeah. you know, I think one of the, problem, the challenges in the church, we, we, we touched on this earlier, we have at times idolatry the family. We put the family and marriage onto a, onto a pedestal which has caused problems with, with, you know, engaging with single people and others, for example, but also means, I think if we think that that's the model to present to the world, let's, you know, come and join the church because look, marriage, right? There's a world out there going, well, hey, why, I'm not, it doesn't even interest me. I'm not interested in that. Thank mm. you very much. And I think we're going to have to really rethink how we frame our engagement with the world and Christian ethics. Christian ethics is going to look even stranger. And the and the danger mm. is that in terms of Christian sexual ethics, we're going to be ever more tempted to just give it up and go, mm. you know, it's going to be so much easier to just follow the way of the world. Um, but what worries me is, you know, the conversations that are being had in major denominations now around things like gay marriage—that is so last year. I think the church—I mm. worry that those denominations are not ready for the next thing. You know, we've criticised the, you know, the, mm. the Methodists mm. and some of their stuff. They've written on homosexuality, things like <laughs> you know, p- pornography, uh, sex robotics—all those mm. guys. Those are the next things coming over the horizon. And I think a lot of those older mainline denominations have not got the f- mm. first idea, even to where to begin mm. thinking around those questions. They've simply thought, well, all we have to do is say yay to same-sex marriage and we'll be okay. Everything will be wonderful. Mm. And actually, no, that is that is the symptom of an underlying cultural malaise. It's not the yeah. root itself.
0: And I think actually that's something I think I remember De Young mentioning in his article that the mainline denominations are just dying out anyway. And one of the reasons they're dying out is they're not having children. Uh, conservative denominations are largely stopping the rot of decline in the churches because they are having children and raising them and keeping them in the church. So even the notion of the the idea of having children as mission is is a a uh, something that we've not really <clears throat> held on to for a while. I always, like I said earlier, I always I, I'm I'm just slightly dubious of the way we 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 create this narrative around the singleness versus this family idolatry thing. Because I just think we're so far away from that. I think there are probably cultures where <laughs> the family has been put on a pedestal and it may seem like you have to have a certain family set up in order to be a really fulfilled um Christian or something. But it like I said, singleness is a tiny min- it's gonna be a tiny minority. Biblically, clearly the norm is still going to be marriage and family. The entire the entirety of the, the the sweep of the of the story of the Bible is a marriage, ultimately. Um the you know, in terms of the the way that the relationship of of Christ and the church that that it ends in revelation with the the wedding supper of the lamb and and we you know all, let alone all the stuff about the way of God of God's relationship to Israel in the old testament and marital terminology through the prophets like Isaiah and um, Jeremiah and um Hosea um and so forth and and then all of the the family dynamics the genealogies which you know are family related having children which leads to the seed um the seed of David which which comes forth in Christ so there's all there's so many there's so much rich metaphor around family and marriage which is so significant that the erosion of the very of a frame of reference for what marriage and family even are which is where our culture is going is quite concerning i mean it's obviously like all things where, where the culture's getting worse and, and darker the church ought to shine uh, all the brighter so there are, there's obviously cause for hope we don't need to be sort of doom specialists in it we, we just need to be aware of the problems and as you say andy mm. the really important thing is to make sure the church is not only uh, awake to this and alert to it to the things that are not just here now, but the things that are coming in the next in the next generation, or the next wave of attack, as it were, the things that we haven't even thought about yet or many haven't thought about, but we need to make sure that they don't infiltrate the church quietly through the back door in ways so many other things have, you know divorce cultures who already come in uh, to the church, Loads of other things we've slid on, loads of other dominations are sliding on 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 gay marriage, and those who think they're never going to go there on gay marriage probably will go there eventually. Um, if they're not careful, because they're, they're starting to sound like the the people who now are at gay marriage were thirty years ago. Uh, so if the main narrative was just so worried about homophobia, just like we're so worried about family idolatry, we mustn't we mustn't tell anyone that we're, we're, we're idolizing the family, as if that's the main problem, when it quite clearly isn't the main problem. The only caveat I'd say is if there are families um, in like you know those kind of good middle tra- middle class churches, which many churches are, where they atomize themselves away. That That is a genuine concern that I do think is real in the sense of like individual families where they go, right, everything's just about us and our hobbies and we're not going to kind of give ourselves to the church. That's not God's plan for what a family is supposed to be. So going back to what you said about Astrid and, and Molly, our wives, and the way they see homemaking, the whole point is it, the reason it's not demeaning and the reason why it's a wonderful calling is precisely because it's a blessing to the community and it's missional and it's something that looks outward in the same way the Proverbs 31 woman is, is incredibly creative and entrepreneurial um, and mm. it's, un, it's not un- disconnected to her child rearing and her her family, the kind of household and the home. So all of those things kind of come out of it, flow out of it. Family idolatry is a problem in some in some ways, but the bigger story here is individualism, consumerism and and actually denigrating the family. And so we absolutely need to recover. Those things which which are being eroded in our time.
1: And as a fun fact, just to uh, just to uh, as we begin to bring this in for a wrap up, of course, I was uh, reminded, and i was just I'm just googling to check I had the stats right. That if you want to see what happens when a denomination does, um, you know, reproduce. You talked about some of these historic mainline ones that haven't. I remember some years ago coming across the the, the amazing statistics around the growth rate of the Amish and Old Order Mennonite guys. <laughs> In the states, and it's been—I think I read somewhere, somewhere—I yeah, I can't find the exact source for this, but the numbers line up with it. It's been calculated so that they can maintain their growth rate by about 200 years' time. The majority of the USA will be Amish um, <laughs> right. because they double every 20 years, and they have—and yeah. um, they have these large families. And of course, you know, everyone mm. likes to tell stories about, oh, yes, but I know so and so who used to be Amish who left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you have 14 kids and a couple mm. of them wander off, mm. then you still have an incredibly high retention rate and the other the the reverse of this is also not only the mainline denominations the atheism angle of this is interesting because atheism is in decline and again for similar reasons one of the things that's been picked Mm. up by demographics is that the secular communities have much lower much Mm. lower birth rates and that's Mm. the the other thing i think would be i just love to you know sort of have us think about as we come towards the end you talked about the idea of the quiver and the kind of you know the the Mm. blessing from the lord and you know shooting stuff out into the world. I think there's something huge about that, isn't there? Because if we believe the gospel is true, and if we believe mm. that Christianity is something that, that has implications for every aspect of life, and there is something about when you raise kids in that tradition, when you, as Deuteronomy says, you teach these things to your children mm. so they can teach them to your children, you are blessing mm. society by the very fact mm. you are producing little agents of salt and light. Mm. And yes, ultimately mm. you can't re- you can't make your kids be Christian, that is between them and the Lord, but boy, you can mm. set them up for success and you can do as much as you can write still realizing that you've got to trust in the holy spirits to ultimately mm. their work ultimately to mm. draw them to to him and i think mm. the alternative versus sitting there not having children grumbling about how the world has become secular and actually you haven't done your piece of that what it means to you know to to, to reproduce and um, mm. bring little you know christ from the christ christ like agents into your small corner of god's kingdom i mm. think you don't you've got no right to complain if you haven't done your part Mm.
0: absolutely absolutely that's really that's really good you know actually we're we're both credo baptists of course but um you speak for yourself yeah yeah as in those who which means for those who don't know that jargon term um those who believe the confession of faith is necessary for baptism rather than pedo baptists those who baptize their children as part of the kind of covenant of their household um but i am actually increasingly sympathetic to some elements of covenant theology partly because so many of the presbyterians are saying so many good things. So shout out to all of our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, beards and um, all, are, yeah, bits and all, kids and all, Um, because I think there's something quite profound about, yeah, the the power of a household, and I think they really get that in a very profound way because for them it would be like, well, how could you possibly believe that your children aren't in in the household of faith because it's your household, so you're taking headship, fathers take headship of their family. And well, what they, it would be kind of yeah. odd for a, ch- a child just to kind of be outside of that. But you can set, what they would do is they sort of raise them in such a way that they say, of course, they could fall away. It's not saying that suddenly it's kind of iron cast, but we are assuming they're in until they're out. And I quite like that. I like that. No, I'm also
1: struck by, I'm just conscious we've just gone past the hour mark, which is rare for us these days and followed the gaps.
0: So <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a bell ringing somewhere. In, a, there's a clack you know, and of a red listeners. light going yeah. over my
1: shoulder. <laughs> no, I'm struck by the fact that, you know, having moved kind of five or six months ago to a new community. It's been interesting watching, you know, realizing that people do notice a difference in you as a Christian family. That's not not to try and put ourselves mm. on 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 a pedestal by any means. I mean we have all kinds of flaws and issues like any family does. But I am, you know, I am struck by that. And one of the things we mm. you know we talk a lot to our kids around is, you know, just be conscious of the fact that people do notice a difference. Mm. And um in the way that a Christian family conducts itself and you know, conversations uh, you know, there've been conversations already beginning about because we do things differently, we structure things differently, mm. you know, some of the, the you know, some of the sort of mm. neighborhood kids that our friends have become our kids have become friends with, noticing things in our family and asking about them. And I that, that point you made about I think a, a Christian family can be an incredible powerful witness in a community mm. when it's when it's focused on how do we turn that outwards, not how do we have this yeah. little happy home where everything is wonderful and we shut the door and protect ourselves mm. rather than though no, we're here as a missional influence mm. here in this here in this neighborhood and how to do mm. that well um mm. and so yeah well i hope this has been a, mm. a sort of bit of a an apologetic and a rambling way for for for, for kids i would certainly say if you're thinking of listening to this and you're married and you haven't had kids yet you know stop hanging around and get on with it i think my wife astra and i waited far too long and kidded ourselves mm. there was no right time and i guess mm. i'd also if you're a pastor start preaching around mm. it don't don't mm. let the fear of know, okay, people who might wrestle with issues because of their life situation hold you back from p- talking about the very mm. biblical good of families mm. and obviously support those for whom family is not an option. I mean, I, 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 yeah. I that's run through what Aaron and I have also said. Yeah. You know, we, we realize there are people whose situations are that family is not possible. Um, Absolutely. But even then, actually, you can still ask yourself, how can I be a resource and a blessing to those families in my church? That and can. How can the families in churches make sure that we're open enough that those who can't be in families can come mm. and
0: part? yeah and, and just a, a, a tiny footnote on on the a how many footnote. kids should i have they always start tiny then they grow um but so in terms of those of you listening thinking you know i we're in a position where we've got let's say we're one child we've got two we've got these are no no children we've got we've got one or we've got two how when do we stop how full should this quiver be um and that's a question people we have to wrestle with you know why wouldn't i have 20 children rather than five children Th- those are the you know challenges that we all face and i just would challenge you to think about those things in faith, remembering that God has said that children are a blessing, yes, not a burden. They are burdensome, but they're the, a good kind of burden, They're a responsibility, yes. but they are a blessing and you will be blessed. And so it will be hard. It will change your life patterns, but meet those conversations, have those conversations with the other half in faith that actually God has said this and it's not the case that we need to listen to the world around us. It's not coincidental that the Christian families tend to, average of children tend to follow those in the world that should not be it should not be the case that we have this amount of children because the world says it or because the government says you can have child benefit up to this amount of children and no more that shouldn't be what affects these decisions if we really believe they're kingdom-led mm. so yeah just to leave on that well actually and to,
1: to leave okay. a footnote to your your footnote even smaller font because <laughs> i always
0: think a real a sign
1: that you're a real academic is your footnotes have footnotes yes is that um two stories actually very briefly one is that i have a again and be careful i don't out people here um a a relative i will not say how distant said relative is or isn't who uh they uh they had two kids in their family found themselves pregnant with a third no they're not christians by the way mm. and um but they were so convinced that they couldn't make room for a third child that they arranged to have an abortion and it was only when they were sitting in the abortion in the in the waiting room for the waiting for the procedure where one of them looks at the other one and goes, what the so insert expletive are we doing here? You know, we've got all the money. We've got loads of money. We've got space. It'll be a struggle. We can make it work. What the hell are we doing here? And the one went, oh, well, I thought you wanted to be here. I thought you wanted to be here. And they said so they literally ran out and they now have a third because they'd allowed themselves to be talked into the fact that can't do it. You need more space, need more money um That was interesting, and then the other story of some friends of mine who are Christian what intrigued me is they their kids uh, their uh, their own kids have grown up they're in their twenties and so they prayed about it and decided that actually there was life in the old dog yet and they've adopted a couple of kids from I think Romania from an orphanage yeah. so they're they're again doing the family thing not the same as having your own but again I was it was a really interesting model in going you know just because your life situation you might outwardly think this is not an option for me. Mm. You know, it's mm. worth praying through and going, what can I do? Mm. Um, mm. Kind of thing. What can I do? Um, and I, that that that's that hugely inspired me. So I've already told my wife when my, when these went out too have grown up and left the home, right, we start again. I'm not sure. She, I'm not sure she's <laughs> fully bought in on this project yet.
0: But uh, <laughs> We'll see. Yeah. You'll be working we'll on it. Well, that's good. No, that's, that's a great, that's a great way to end it. And thank you for again, sharing those stories and, and everything else that we, you, you shared in this episode. Um, we hope you've uh, found it helpful too, and that you um, will keep, supporting the show sending us your feedback yeah. and um liking subscribing all of Dops that this show and your list of podcasts absolutely yeah and if you you know if you have any children let us know um, and we'll rejoice with you in those blessings and uh, if you can't we'll, we'll pray with you uh, with those things as well so so yeah this has been part of the gaps i've been aaron edwards this has been andy bannister and we'll see you not we'll hear you you'll hear us next time I love Excellent it. A sign. Typical hour Excellent sign. <laughs> so professional. I know. On that note, farewell. Goodbye.